Hey everybody, welcome to episode number two of Code Planet's Nebula podcast. I'm John Cooperman. And I'm Kelly King. And today we're going to be talking about getting your website online, uh, how to get your website from local development uh, out onto the internet so everybody can view it. Uh, also today we have a very special guest with us, Tom Hunter. Say hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. And um, uh, Tom's a full stack developer here in San Francisco, uh, where we live. So Tom, why don't you start by telling us how you got into programming? Sure. Yeah, about uh, 10 years ago, I was working through college as like a busboy. Um, I did a little bit of tech on the side, nothing too major. I had a friend whose mom actually ran a photography business, and uh, she was interested in making websites, and I had you know, kind of played around with it on the side for fun, and I uh, interviewed, started working there, um, and ever since then, I've been working at bigger and bigger companies, um, getting deeper and deeper into technology. So what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was the interview like for this is like your first job and it's like a family business? They, I assume they weren't very tech savvy, right? No, it was, uh, it was really like, here's something I made. It's like, oh, that's cool. You can do that. We want one of those. <laughs> is that, yeah. that kind of thing? We'll take 10. Nice. Was it, uh, was it interesting working kind of by yourself as far as no other technical guidance or anything like that? Uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. It was uh, you know, pretty open-ended, and I got to decide the technology we'd use. Um, built like a CMS from scratch that we used. Um, you know, learned a lot of PHP. Um, did some OS commerce. I don't know if you guys remember that. I do a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. That's awesome. All right, so yeah, I think we had been fielding a lot of questions lately um, where people are basically just asking, you know, like, hey, I've got my first project or I want to make a personal site for my portfolio. Um, and they know maybe a little bit of HTML, CSS, JavaScript, stuff like that, but they don't know exactly how to get, you know, a site onto the internet. Um, so I think we really want to like talk about that and maybe breaking it down into a few smaller pieces would be a good way to start that. Cool. All right, cool. So I guess uh, for me, the the pieces that we'd want to talk about are a web host of some sort, some place to host the, the code, the HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um, talk a little bit about DNS, and then talk about kind of jumping off of that into like domain registrars, registration, things like that. Um, so I don't know, maybe Kelly, you want to kick it off a little bit? Sure. So I think the question that I get a lot is, is yeah, I have a personal like portfolio and I want to be able to put it on my resume and share it with people. So that's sort of the big first step is how do you go from having files on your computer to having them somewhere that everybody can see and there's a ton of options for that. So maybe we could talk about some of those options. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I guess the first uh, step in the process is actually um, you know getting like a, a domain name. Um, so mm -hmm. for that you would uh, you could go to what is called like a domain name registrar. Uh, GoDaddy, of course, is the biggest one you hear about, right? Uh, for better or worse. Uh, there's also some different alternatives. Uh, Gandhi is uh, one that I know a bunch of us, like John. Yeah, I use Gandhi as And some people think that you can just type a URL into a browser to see if it's available, which is not necessarily. Oh yeah, true. that's definitely a big. <laughs> a a big hurdle I've seen a lot where people tell them, you know, they go to, you know, www.yourname, whatever it is, you know, .com and see an error page and they're like, oh, great, it's available, but it's much trickier than that in the sense that almost all of the domains are owned, just not used. Right. Um, so I guess, yeah, we can talk a little bit about, like, essentially what we're dealing with here is that there's what we call DNS is the domain name service. 
And like to, to oversimplify what we're talking about here is computers have unique IP addresses, but IP addresses are really, really difficult to memorize. You know, Google wouldn't have had its success if it was like, just go to 195.432.17, you know. And so what this domain name service does is it maps these IP addresses or groups of IP addresses uh, to a, you know, human-readable uh, letters and numbers name. So that's really, like, that's, like, the difficult thing, right? Like, it, for all of you out there, you want something that's, like, yourname.com, and you need it to go to this place where your code lives. So that's what we're talking about here. You want to go register one um, with a registrar, and then they'll take care of kind of pointing it in the right place for you. Um, so it's a, a little bit complicated. Like, when we get into networking stuff, I think it's really deep. Uh, so luckily, there's, like, a lot of really cool services out there that can help you with every step of this process. So it can kind of help you sign up for a domain name and even get started on your website. Um, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about the different types of services that are out there um, from like the very minimal all the way to like the more full service ones. So yeah, I think the first thing that I ever used was a shared hosting account through DreamHost. And so that was like, a it was a combination where you could look up domain names to see what's available and then once you register a domain name that you could also upload files <clears throat> to live on that domain through through their interface. Yeah, so DreamHost and Bluehost are like I think two really good examples of full featured uh, services. So basically you're going to be paying a monthly amount. I think Bluehost is cheaper. I think it's about $4 a month starting. Yep. I think DreamHost is 10 something like yeah. that. Um, but either way, and you can kind of compare the services, but either way, so what you get is typically you get one domain name, like a .com domain name included for free, and then you pay this monthly fee, and they have a whole, like, web dashboard that you can use. So you can, like, register more domain names, or you can, you know, turn those domain names into, you know what I mean, websites a lot easier. I definitely would recommend getting started that way. You can certainly go to individual sources for each part of it you know register your domain through one and host on another but i think for getting up and going it's really easy to use one of these things like bluehost or dreamhost something like that um yeah there's uh there's a lot of configuration that you um if you go through different uh sources you'll have to you know configure your domain to point to the correct host and then there's all these uh kind of technical settings you have to set uh, but if you do use a all-in-one solution, they will configure it for you. Yeah, so those are really great. They have, like, really good web UIs. Um, a couple of the other things that you could look into, just as, like, maybe terminology to, I guess, be aware of, um, is that there's um, VPS, uh, Virtual Private Servers. And so the kind of idea there, you know, with, with, so with a shared hosting... Um, what you can kind of think about it like, so there's these companies like Bluehost and Dreamhost, and they have these data centers with all these servers in them, all these computers. And with a shared hosting, it's basically you get a little chunk, your own little chunk of one of the computers, uh, and then they manage everything for you, which is pretty great, so you don't have to worry about any of it. But obviously, you only get this little chunk. So if you were trying to start something that was starting to gain some popularity, gain some steam, something like that, you would want to do something like Upgrade. And a VPS is still just a little chunk of one of the computers, um, but you 
you have full control over how much of a chunk you need, which is really helpful. Um, definitely for more advanced usage. But so when you say chunk, do you mean storage space or do you mean connections? So all of the above. So basically, like, one trick that I think you all see a lot is if you go to these shared hosts, like Bluehost or Dreamhost, they'll say, they use the word unlimited everywhere, which is totally nonsense, right? Like, they'll be like, unlimited hard drive space, unlimited bandwidth, unlimited... And, like, obviously, like, you can't go buy a computer with unlimited hard drive space. That just doesn't exist. Uh, but what they're talking about is, like, you and, like, 30 other people that you don't know all get put on this one machine and you're all kind of fighting each other for resources. Um, and you, But they don't have a cap on what each person can use. Um, so it's just software that splits... You can think about it as splitting a computer into pieces. Um, and then with a VPS, you actually just have control over your piece. That's really the only difference is you're like, I want to buy... 2 gig of RAM on that computer, and I want to buy 50 gig a month of bandwidth on that computer, uh, and you kind of own that, whether you use it or not. Um, Are they as full-featured as shared hostings? It really depends. So, like, the first VPS, the first host I was really using was DreamHost. Uh, I had all my domains there, and I had all my hosting accounts there. Um, and DreamHost also offers, you can upgrade from their $10 a month to, and I don't remember how much it costs, but to their VPS package that they offer. Um, and so that's kind of nice because you get, you know, you own this chunk now, um, but you still get all the great tools that DreamHost offers you. The great web UI, easy domain registration, things like that. Um, a lot of the services that are VPS only, like right now I use linode.com for mine, and it is a much more minimal interface. Like essentially all you can do during the, through the web UI is turn off and on your VPS, uh, and the rest of the stuff you actually have to get to know some systems commands, like you have to be in the terminal uh, entering stuff. So I would definitely not recommend starting with that route. Um, yeah, it's worth mentioning, um, if you use a shared host, they're going to install basically all the things you need for you, and uh, they'll configure it for you, they'll kind of abstract it for you. A lot of them, they'll give you like a database, and then here's the database connection information. They'll, they'll give you a language that can, uh, you know, kind of run your scripts. Um, they'll give you like an FTP account. Whereas if you're using a virtual private server or even your own dedicated hardware, um, you know you're going to be setting all that up yourself. Yeah, and it's really, I think it like kind of quickly becomes its own whole thing, like its own its own job, you know, its own skill set that you, that you probably don't want to get into. So I guess for getting started, my recommendation would be compare some of these shared hosts. Um, we don't have any sponsors with any, but I would definitely recommend checking out Bluehost and Dreamhost. They've been really straightforward and good support. Um, and then sign up for one of those accounts, and it'll, it'll have a form for you to fill out where you can you know, put in whatever domain that you want, and hopefully you can find one that works for you. Uh, so grab that, and then start following their web UI uh, for, you know, for getting set up and things like that. Um, so we want to maybe talk about, like, okay, so you own a domain now. Uh, you have, like, your name.com or whatever, and you have this hosting account you're paying for. How do we get from there to having some stuff that people can go see? Um, either of you want to take that one? Um, sure. So do we want to go with the, like you've got a shared host and you've got a, a host name set up? Yeah, I think, yeah. So let's say you like finished up all the registration stuff on DreamHost. You've got like thomashunter.name and you've got a hosting account that's like ready to go, but you go there and you probably don't see anything yet, right? Or maybe it says, welcome to DreamHost. I think that's what they say <laughs> when yeah. you first register a website. <laughs> yep. So, you know, at that point you want to, you know, actually get your content to the server. Um, a lot of these shared hosts, they'll give you an FTP account. And, uh, you know, this is a username, password, host name combination, uh, which you can 
uh, plug into some software that will run on your desktop. Uh, FileZilla uh, comes to mind as being a, a free open um, FTP client. Um, so you can enter in this information to your client, uh, you connect to the server, and it will give you a, some sort of view of the hierarchy of the server file system. And um, FileZilla will also show you your own uh, file system for your local computer. And so if you have your um, if you have a doc, uh, website that you have created, you know, some CSS, HTML, JavaScript, um, you can upload those to, the, to your server, uh, usually by a simple drag-and-drop operation. Yeah, so maybe we can also back up just a little bit uh, and talk a little bit about what FTP is. Um, FTP stands for File Transfer Protocol. So that allows you to... Um, upload a bunch of files all at once, and you have a separate login that you can do across FTP. Yeah, so kind of what we're talking about here is like if you, when you use a website, like when you go to, you know, Google or, you know, YouTube or whatever it is that you go to, uh, you'll commonly see in the URL bar, you'll see HTTP colon slash slash or HTTPS colon slash slash. Uh, and so that's like one protocol. And protocols are just like basically connections with a, that serve a certain purpose. So the HTTP protocol is great for viewing web pages, you know, for interacting with sending some data, like filling out a form or whatever. But it's not ideal for, you know, moving files, deleting files on a system. And so FTP is kind of like another way to connect to a computer. You know, HTTP is one way to connect to a computer, and then FTP is a different way. And so, yeah, you log in with credentials that you'd set up, and then, yeah, you see very much, like, if you're a you know if you're a Windows user and you have your like file explorer open with you know folders and files, or if you're a Mac user and you have Finder open, uh, you kind of see these like two versions of Finder. One is your personal computer, and the other is the actual server's computer. Uh, and so you can you know drag files from one to the other, or you can like right click on them and delete. Uh, FileZilla is also what I recommend. It's free, open source, and it runs yeah. on all Mac, Windows, and Linux. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and so yeah, so like. So you let's say you got your thing all set up. You went to Bluehost, Dreamhost, wherever. You got your domain name. You got your hosting paid for on a monthly cycle. And then you, I'm sure they have a web form somewhere that's like set up an FTP connection. So you pick your username, password. You download FileZilla. You connect to it on FileZilla. And what are what are we going to see then? So you got your home computer on the left, and you've got this like kind of new mystery file structure on the right. Yep. Um, and at that point in time, you just want to uh, start uploading the files um, that you're going to want to view on your website. Um, of course, there's the default um, index.html document. That's the one uh, people will, will view when they go to your, uh, your domain name. Yeah, so that's just like a, a, a thing to know that if you don't specify a file like aboutme.html or something like that, uh, the web server will always look for a file named index first. Uh, so yeah, if you've got in your main directory, if you just put index.html and you put the word hello in there, now all of a sudden we're cooking and when you go to your website, you'll see the word hello. If you put in john.html and you go to your website, you're still going to see that DreamHost, welcome to DreamHost page or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it's something to know. So, you, yeah, you want to get started with this, like, index.html file. This is, like, a really good way to just get started feeling things out. Um, and now, hopefully, kind of at this point with the shared hosting, you're at a point that you're more familiar with where you can start moving CSS and JavaScript in there. You can link to them with, you know, your link and your script tags, uh, and you'll start being able to really see, you know, the stuff that, that you put online acting a lot more like the stuff that you put on, uh, on locally. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's a great summary. So there's a few other sort of options out there that I just wanted to run through real quick. So um, some people may have heard of Heroku or GitHub or WordPress.com. So maybe we could talk about some of those options. Yeah, let's talk about all three of those. So they're really cool, really cool options. Um, maybe I'll start with GitHub. Sure. All right, cool. So uh, I actually use, it's called GitHub Pages. You can look it up. And I actually use it for my personal site, JohnCooperman.com. Um, and so basically what it is is that GitHub, by default, uh, for those that don't know what GitHub is, um, probably best for another another talk, but it's an open source like code sharing website uh, where you can put source code and they and they let you keep it there. Um, but what they let you do if you make an account is they like let's say you make an account that's like you know Kelly, um, they'll save Kelly.github.io for you. So they own GitHub.com, that's where you put code, but they also own GitHub.io, um, and so it's kind of cool. You can put uh, a a new project and you can name it. Uh, kelly.github.io, whatever your username is, and then you can put an index.html file in this project, um, and then whenever you go to kelly.github.io, it'll show, you know, very similarly to doing a web host thing, which I think opens up a few more doors for discussion around how this stuff works. So that works by creating a repository that has the exact right name? Yes, and so, yeah, it's a naming convention, so it's your username.github.io needs to be the repository name, and all this stuff that we're talking about now is using the Git version control system. So the way, you know, you'd use their website, you'd say create a new repository, your name.github.io, and then you're going to have to learn, if you don't already know, a little bit about Git, uh, and, and hopefully we'll have some really good talks on that coming, but... Um, that, that for right now, I think it's a little bit outside the scope of this talk. But what about if you have a GitHub IO? Is there a way to change that to be KellyKing.com or whatever? Yeah. So again, like these are really really great options, but they do get a little bit more technical. So what you're gonna want to do there is you're gonna want to have <clears throat> first, let's say you set up your GitHub.io thing. So you've got, you know, kelly.github.io, and then you go to Dreamhost, Bluehost, wherever you want, a registrar now, and you just register kellyking.me, or whatever you want it to be. Uh, when you register a domain, the thing that most people do with it, which is what we were talking about earlier, is they host stuff on it. You know, they'll say, hey, you know, I own this, this Dreamhost domain, and now I want to use Dreamhost as a host to put my files. But another thing that you can do, back to DNS again, is you can actually use what's called a CNAME, and you can route it so that it says, whenever somebody hits kellyking.me, I want you to pass that connection immediately on to somewhere else. So there's a really great tutorial if you look up like GitHub pages CNAME or GitHub pages your own URL, something like that. But essentially what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to click edit on your, on your domain that you bought, and you want to configure the CNAME to point at kellyking.me, or Kelly. Uh, at github.io as opposed to kellyking.me and it works really well so John Cooperman is just pointing at jcoop.github.io um, and so everything works kind of as expected again it's like a little bit more technical but a great thing is you're talking about the scalability that github offers as opposed to what your cheap shared host will offer um, and I think the only point I want to make on that is that like I did cheap hosting for years and the only reason that I switched away honestly is because I had uh, pretty frequently an article that I would write would make it up on the homepage of like Reddit or Hacker News or something like that and my host would just absolutely buckle under that um, you know just max connections and like you know things like that and so I was losing my site was going down whenever I'd get too many hits 
Um, and so that's kind of a really nice thing about, uh, you know, hosting something this way. Yep. So, um, these solutions work really good if you're building, uh, simple static websites, uh, where you're simply, uh, giving the browser some, uh, HTML, JavaScript, CSS. But once you start adding some server-side programming, um, you know, things will get a little bit more complex, uh, if you want to talk to a database, for example. Um, so these, the shared hosts quite often um, have PHP support, like DreamHost, Bluehost. Mm -hmm. They'll all let you uh, execute some PHP and uh, you know talk to a database. Um, if you start wanting a bit more control with the code that runs, or if you want to, um, if you have scalability concerns, you know this is uh, really doesn't. Uh, come up too early in the process. Sure. Um, but certainly you'll want to eventually look at maybe a platform as a service, such as Heroku, uh, where you can configure how the, how the web servers spin up, uh, which uh, databases you can talk to, um, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's really good. And then you also kind of touched on an important thing, which is that most of the time, still these days, PHP is the only server-side language supported on these really cheap shared hosts. So for those of you out there that are really into doing Ruby on Rails or Node uh, or anything like that, you're probably going to be out of luck uh, with the shared host. Again, like I don't think that's true across the board, and I really think you should just research it beforehand, but there's a good chance that they won't have like Node.js support. So if you want to run a Node.js app, again, you're going to have to yeah, either go with a platform as a service, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, or go with back to the VPS thing where you kind of buy your own chunk and then you install whatever you want on it. Um, yeah, I have actually seen a few small uh, like shared hosts that specialize in uh, node applications. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're few and far between now, and you know, the prices are still settling. And, um, they're still reaching feature parity with these other shared hosts. Certainly. And another thing, like server-side programming, once you move away from these static sites, and by static sites we mean just HTML, CSS, and front-end JavaScript, uh, once you move away from those things get a lot more complicated because even if your host, say, offers Node.js support and then you get on there and your app's not working, it turns out they have like a four-year-old version of Node or something like that on there. And then you write them an email and they're like, oh yeah, we're planning on upgrading in the next five years or so. You know what I mean? I mean, these, these shared hosting companies, it's really not a prerogative for them to stay on the cutting edge of technology. Um, and so I think the more you do, like if you want the latest version of Rails or the you know, latest version of Node or whatever, you're going to more and more find yourself looking for alternatives to a shared host. So I, I think that's another reason that people eventually kind of graduate from a shared hosting plan uh, into something a little bit more, more serious like that. Um, cool. So Heroku, maybe talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, sounds great. <clears throat> so the thing that I think is kind of cool about Heroku is like even at a hackathon or something sort of more temporary, you can upload your files to Heroku and get some domain that maybe not be very pretty, but it's free and you just host your files for free. And they have support for a lot of the more uh, modern languages like Ruby and things like that. Definitely. So that's like a cool use case for Heroku. Yeah, Heroku's <laughs> kind of awesome all the way around like I just love the idea of it although I just don't find myself using it very much uh, for actual projects and I think that might just be me um, but if you go to their site I was like I remember when Heroku came on the scene and I wasn't a very good programmer yet and I was like really overwhelmed by the language on Heroku. Like it just seemed like really, really hard to like not accessible. Yeah, like what is a dino? That was like that was like the first thing. It was like yeah, like you know, 128 dinos for some monthly price. And I was like, oh man, I don't know what any of this stuff is. I'm out of here. 
Um, but it's a really cool service, and I think that they've really improved their language, their documentation, things like yeah. that. So what I, what I would recommend doing if you're interested um, is going to their website, Heroku.com, and checking out. They have a tutorial for, like, every language under the sun, and it's and it's really step-by-step. Step. So it's like uh, you get one app for free on, like, one server, essentially. Um, and, yeah, like Kelly said, it kind of spits back this, like, hashed uh, URL that you get. But they're not terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the servers have, like, these weird, unique names to them, like, Pink Penguin or something like that, so you'll get like you know pinkpenguin.herokuapp.com or you know I can't remember the specifics, but um, it's really great in the sense that you can you get to their site, go to the tutorials, and then you'll pick any language like Ruby or Node or Scala or anything like that, and it'll give you this amazing step by step of like how to deploy, how to check your error logs, how to you know how to scale up more dynos, how to do you know all these great things. Um, I think it's super worthwhile. It only takes about 10 minutes to do the tutorials. And again, like for hackathons, like this is just so killer because you don't, you know, it's like... You don't want to pay for things with a bunch of strangers you just met and you don't need it to be very permanent. And you don't want to spend your first day just setting up like a good node MySQL environment or something like that, right? Like like the great thing about Heroku is like you get all that stuff right out of the box. Uh, You can just worry about your application code, which is so cool. And as you uh, as you need more features that they offer, you can you know use the web UI, add it. So if you don't need to use a database, you simply don't add it. You don't pay for it. Absolutely. Right. And Heroku can scale to do all the other things that we talked about, like having your own domain and and uh, scaling up. And you can pay more money to have more dinos. Yeah, I don't. I guess I can't think offhand of anybody that's using Heroku in production uh, that I know, but. I'm sure they um, list some on their site. Yeah, I, I would imagine that. I think it. I think from everything that I've heard and seen, I think it scales really well. I think it's totally a viable option for, uh, yeah, for getting off the ground and getting even. I mean, even at, you know, even at scale, like it's because it's at, essentially at a certain point, it's like just outsourcing all of your system administration tasks, which is fantastic if you don't know how to do that stuff. Or you don't uh, like to do it. Yeah, <laughs> so they'll keep your servers on, they'll keep it fast and up to date, and they'll keep you aware of any potential problems, anything like that, which is really awesome. Yep. Um, um, uh, Kelly, John, and I are at a, a stage in our careers where you know, we've done a lot of system administration. Um, you know, We've built Linux machines and um, done all the dirty work, so... Um, where we're at, it's it's almost easier to uh, simply use our package manager, connect to the server, install it, and configure these uh, instead of using a uh, a web interface. Yeah, but I do think that it's it's not necessary to learn all that stuff. And I think if you're you know if you're really trying to get out of the gate with a really cool application or something, it's just nice to not have to worry about it. Yep. Um, um, so the last one I wanted to talk about, because a lot of people have heard of WordPress, and WordPress powers a lot of the internet, so what are the WordPress options for having your own website? Yeah, so you've got two main options, uh, and I think they're actually cause for a lot of confusion over yes. the years. <laughs> uh, so you've got WordPress.com and WordPress.org, and trying to use, like, because th- these are always really confusing, so WordPress.com is like like Tumblr essentially yep. where you register your you know your unique name .wordpress.com and you get this nice little blogging area where you can write your write your posts and you're and part pick of this from some set of themes yep. and you can share blogs just like Tumblr yep yeah. so everything's like right there for you and you don't you never download anything you never upload anything you never have to worry about domains or servers you just get you know you get what you get like Tumblr is now you can also Point a custom domain name yes. to you can, which I think is what really starts the confusion train. Right. So, 
uh, on the other side of .com is WordPress.org, which is code that you download. Uh, so if you wanted to run it locally, you would need like a local copy of you know some, uh, a PHP server and a local copy of MySQL, things like that. And similarly for hosting it. Um, but it's code that you, you download. Uh, and it provides a very similar interface, which is where the trickiness comes from. It's right. also just a blogging platform. But essentially, WordPress.com is just kind of you get what you get. Um, WordPress.org is a, is a, is code that you can really develop on, that you can make you know kind of custom applications or control your own plugins or you know do a lot more, kind of have a lot more freedom. Um, and then, yeah, the thing that makes it really complicated, which Tom was mentioning earlier, is that you like originally the big advantage with WordPress.org was if you wanted your own real domain, you had to download the code and buy a domain. Uh, whereas WordPress.com didn't offer that. But like we talked about with GitHub Pages, you can just kind of do a DNS forwarding there. Uh, so you can have a WordPress.com site uh, with your own domain name on it. Um, I'm not sure I'd sweat the details too much, I guess, between them, but I would definitely say that if you're planning on doing like some more serious stuff, like building a site that you really own and you can really like fiddle with, uh, WordPress.org is the way to go. If you just want a blog that you know somebody else runs, it's also free, which is great. Uh, WordPress.com would be a good fit for that. Definitely. Um, and then I guess like as the last, if you're like if you're like oh these look pretty similar, I'm not sure which one to choose. Uh, they have really really great exporter and importer for going back and forth between the two, uh, so you can export your .com site. You can download and install a .org, and then you can import all that content. So it's really not a big deal. But but to oversimplify, if you want them hosting like a Tumblr style thing .com, if you want to like actually own your own host and have a web app .org. Yep. Uh, all right, sweet. Um, there's a, a couple, I guess, other things that I just wanted to mention. Um, one thing that might be interesting to go through is like just talking about each of us and what we currently have online, like what our current setups are. So maybe, uh, Tom, do you want to kick it off there and we'll just kind of go around? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I run a um, just a personal content website, thomashunter.name. Uh, that is a WordPress.org installation. Um, however, on the same server, I also run a whole bunch of uh, node-based you know, web games, which are you know, constantly running. Um, maybe they do things over different ports, um, which is uh, a topic we'll probably discuss in the future. Um, and so maybe I'm also running some other you know, crazy things on my server, like I have some interesting databases and stuff like that. Uh, so for my setup, I prefer to use a VPS. Uh, that gives me a lot of control. You know, I can get into the server, install new packages, keep my WordPress up to date. Um, I also host websites for friends and family as well. And so those are using uh, the same um, web server software, um, which actually we didn't discuss that today, but uh, I use something called Nginx. And then for uh, my registrar, I use Gandhi. And so Gandhi just points. Um, I have several domains in Gandhi, which all point to um, my Linode VPS. Great. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, <clears throat> I have a website, kellyking.me. I also host websites for some family members, so um, I use DreamHost. I like it because um, I can register my domain through that same website and I don't have to deal with a lot of the VPS stuff. And since all my files are basically static, then I don't really have to worry about configuring Node or whatever else. Um, I also have a, from my personal website, I link to a blog hosted on GitHub. Um, but I don't really post there very often. 
Nice. Um, so for CodePlanet.io, I have a very similar setup to Tom. Uh, I registered the domain through Gandhi.net, uh, and I also host it on a separate Linode VPS that um, that yeah I like to keep just really locked down, up to date, you know that kind of stuff. So that works out really well. Uh, for my personal blog, JohnCooperman.com, I actually do what we talked about earlier with GitHub pages. So I have jcoop.github.io, um, which has my site on it. And then uh, it's a kind of nice setup because basically I work locally and it's really easy. And then I just do a git push uh, and it you know sends it up and refreshes my site for me. And maybe not too much of a detour, but... One of the things that I do use that is really nice is what are called static site generators. Um, I don't want to get too technical into it, but essentially, it, you know, like if, if you've checked out WordPress before, you know that you get all these great options like plugins and, um, you know, like a, a shared theme and like the ability to do, you know, all this really cool stuff like list all your posts or have posts by categories or search. Um, whereas if you've built just HTML websites, then you know that you really don't have all that stuff unless you go through like each file and add, you know, like if you have like 10 pages in a website and you want to add something to the nav bar, you have to go through each one of those HTML pages and update the nav bar. So what static site generators are, it's like basically you can think about it like having WordPress locally. And then when you hit save, it turns it into a bunch of HTML files, which are really secure and way faster to load and things like that. So I use Jekyll. I think it's JekyllRB.com is the website. Um, it's kind of cool. It's like a really little Ruby app, uh, but it gives me a bunch of flexibility. Uh, and the other cool thing is GitHub uses Jekyll for their gists, for their static pages. So it, uh, the GitHub pages trick with GitHub.io actually has full Jekyll support. So I don't even need to build the flat files. I just push the actual Jekyll app up to my GitHub repo, uh, and it takes care of building it for me. So that's kind of a cool approach. Uh, again, a little bit more on the technical side, but it's pretty fun. Uh, and then lastly, I do have a DreamHost account, which I kind of have like quarantined off all my friends and family websites that I uh, host, <laughs> just because I was finding like, you know, I keep all the software really up to date, like the latest version of Node and Ruby and things like that. But I was finding that like a lot of my family have WordPress sites uh, and they don't go and keep their WordPress install up to date. Um, and like there's fixes, like there's a plugin that does automatic updates or whatever, but I still was feeling kind of uncomfortable that they were letting like two-year-old software with security vulnerabilities live on my on my server. So I kind of quarantined yeah. them off with a really cheap DreamHost plan, which has been kind of cool. Um, yeah, I used to host uh, sites for my clients, and they'd be using, uh, you know, WordPress.orgs that I'd set up for them. But then, yeah, they'd leave them outdated, or they'd just grab some cheap themes. Yeah. And then um, we're constantly, like, WordPress themes or plugins, they're constantly finding vulnerabilities, and then before you know it, all your uh, websites are hacked. Yeah, so that's actually maybe a cool thing to just talk about real quick is, like, just general security. Like, so now you're, like, getting this host and you're putting stuff online. Um, and ideally, and hopefully, other people are using it and they're visiting it and checking it out. Uh, what what are the things that you want to be thinking about with security? And, like, what are some cool solutions around that? Or, the, or like, what is your general mindset towards keeping things secure? Um, well, if you're going with some of these... Um super easy uh, setups, for example, WordPress.com, you know, they will constantly keep that WordPress up to date for you. Um, if you've got a WordPress.org going, you're going to want to 
I'll log in every now and then and do a... You know, I think WordPress now does auto-updating. They do. They have a thing that you can do for auto-updating WordPress. So that's, like, super important. Right. Yeah, but they, I don't think they'll do, like, a major, or maybe not the minor, but just the patch version. Yeah, I think like that, that they... Yeah, I think that you're right, that they don't do... They don't do major version upgrades, but they will keep all the security fixes up to date. Yep. yep. So gonna... static files are super safe. There's no way to sort of take them down with SQL injections and things like that? Yeah, so without getting yet too technical, I think, like, an oversimplification, right, is that, like, HTML and CSS are always safe. They're, like, they're like non-hackable. Uh, there's nothing you can do there. Um, anything else <laughs> is not super safe. Um, and so, like... But it's impossible to, like, build web apps without other things. Yes, so. everyone uses other things you have to, but even... Even as soon as you start writing client-side JavaScript, uh, in some ways you're 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 still opening yourself up for a little bit of risk. Client-side JavaScript is pretty safe, uh, but yes, as soon as you get into like uh, you know server-side programming, you're definitely opening yourself up right. to vulnerabilities. So I mean, but the things that people can do are sort of like take down your site or put something up so that your site redirects to somewhere scandalous or whatever. Yeah, the big worry usually is around data, right? So mm -hmm. if you have, like, a newsletter and you store all the people's email addresses on your server and then right. somebody gets in there, they have access. You know, so just stuff like that that you want to be a little bit mindful of. And, like, I think the best tips are, like, always push forward with upgrades. Like, yeah. you just need to keep stuff up. Most of the time that you get these little miniature upgrades that seem annoying, it's because there's a security vulnerability. Like, you have to jump on those. Uh, so that that would be both, like, your Node or Ruby, like, your language, as well as, like, your operating system, you know? And which, again, is not... If you're on a shared host, they'll take care of that for you. But if you're on, you know, something where you're controlling it, yep. it comes with a lot more worry as well. You know, you want to keep, keep an eye out for those things. Um, yeah, if you're on a VPS, uh, you have to handle all the upgrades by yourself yep and every now and then somebody will come up with a uh like a zero day exploit which means um like a, a big attack surface in common software which is available right now and maybe you'll have to manually uh, update things and get it can get tedious yeah it definitely gets tedious and it's like always happening uh you know, and it, it kind of opens up this bigger question of, like, you know, there's, like, there's phrases like security through obscurity or whatever, where it's, like, if you're running your personal site, I really wouldn't be all that worried about hackers. Although, I have had my sites hacked before. Um, we're always WordPress sites, always a little bit out of date, like ones that yeah. I didn't have, didn't have super up to date, and always the same thing, which is, like, they inject some script that makes it so that my site redirects to their site. And the real only bummer there is that, uh, you know, Google does a really good job of keeping a tab on crappy sites, like malware sites. So if you leave your site up redirecting to one of these, you can really lose your search engine ranks, which happened to me pretty significantly uh, years ago. Yeah. Um, which is a bummer, but, you know, it's definitely a good reason to keep that stuff up to date. I think I just also, for the end of the security segment just wanted to talk about like while WordPress seems like such an incredible solution and it is I love WordPress so much uh I think the statistic is something like 20% of all sites on the internet use WordPress right now um and so WordPress if you were a hacker uh being able to hack WordPress is more beneficial like a better spend of your time than being able to hack any other platform on the other so, hand you have tons of people who patch and contribute to WordPress so. you certainly do you get kind of both. So it's kind of like being a Windows user, right? Where yeah. it's just... Although it's different. WordPress, fortunately, is open source and has a big thriving community around it. But it is also the target. Like, WordPress sites are going to get targeted. Um, 
So a little WordPress specific, but there's a bunch of really easy things you can do just to protect yourself on a WordPress site. Um, so I, one of the first things is like use incredible passwords. Like don't, and, and I would honestly, I use one password and I don't use human generated passwords ever. I have these like garbled 32 character letter number symbol uh, all saved in my one password, and that's what I use for anything important, something yeah. like that. I think there's also a WordPress plugin that allows you to lock the login page after three failed attempts. Yep, Jetpack now does that by default. Jetpack is like a conglomerate of plugins uh, that's really cool. So yeah, you can block people out after failed attempts, which is really great. There's also plugins for the default way to log into WordPress is your WP admin, is slash WP admin. So there's ones that hide that and change it to something else. Right. Um, Another big one that I always do is when WordPress creates your MySQL tables, it uses WP underscore as a prefix. Uh, so those are the tables people would be targeting. So I just mm -hmm. pick a few other letters. Mine are yep. always like some some random like you know ZH pages ZH. You know they'll be yeah. different per site. I think we so. could go on forever about. No, definitely. Security. I think those are like just the big things to be like. Why not, like if you're gonna set up some kind of software, just do a little bit of light reading on like you know what it is. And, and most of the times, I wouldn't even recommend doing it yourself as much as like finding. You know, for WordPress, find a plugin, uh, or you know, for Ruby and Node, just trust the the core developers. You know, things like that to do the updates regularly. So yeah. I think it's really, really what it boils down to. Um, kind of just one other thing, uh, just to kind of like finish off on it, because we touched about it a little bit, is like, do you want to talk about ways that you can get files from your computer uh, to a server? So we talked about FTP a little bit, um, oh, which yeah. is which is pretty cool. Um, the problem with FTP. And the, kind of the problem with all this stuff is, like, it's, like, leaving this thing open that can be connected to by anyone. And so, like, anybody that could get or crack your username and password can, like, browse your entire server and make any changes they want, which yeah. is a little bit unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple of other ways that yeah. you can do it. So uh, for my site, I just SSH into my server, and then I just do a command that uploads files. So mm -hmm. SCP or rsync and can just connect from one computer to the other and transfer those files for you. Yeah, so SCP and rsync are great. Yep, um, SSH is worth mentioning that um, so FTP is specifically for uploading files. Um, SSH is um, it's like a general purpose kind of uh, issue commands. You can uh, certainly send data over it. It's a, it's a secure way of uh, interfacing with the server. Whereas yeah. FTP, even when you authenticate your password to send yes. plain text. Yeah. So FTP is not a great way. It's probably how I'd recommend starting off with things. It's so easy and there's so many Fazzle tutorials on great. it. And Fazzle is fantastic. But yeah, eventually you'd probably want to close off FTP on your site. Uh, another thing while we just touch on security that I always like to do is I, uh, by default, uh, SSH goes over a website port 22. Uh, and you can actually change that really easily on any computer. So I always change mine to like some random other mm. port that's open. Uh, so people, you know, because people like sniff for open ports or whatever. That's um, a good idea. That's something I always do on my on my sites. I like checking my access logs every now and then. Yeah. And you see thousands and thousands of logging tests. <laughs> People trying, day. like, you know, whatever the URL is. And, like, yeah. And you'll also see, like, if you get in, like, a little bit deeper with the system stuff, I check uh, I check the request logs, too, and you'll see, like, people are like, data dash, data dash, data dash, Etsy password. Or, like, you know, they're, like, trying so desperately. So there are definitely, like, threats out there. But I think for the most part, like, keeping your software up to date is, like, the number one thing that I would recommend doing. You know, like, always, 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 you know, update everything that you can. 
Um, and then, yeah, one last one that I use, uh, have used in the past is actually using Git or GitHub uh, as a way to communicate with my server. So, like, I would push from my laptop up to GitHub, and then I would just log into my my compute my server with SSH and then pull down the GitHub repo. It's kind of nice because it makes sure the code always stays totally in sync, but um, that's another nice way. So yeah, so FTP for start. Um, I, well, one other one I guess I'd like to mention is that a lot of these shared hosts have uh, an actual web UI for doing this stuff, which is cool. So yes. that's all done over HTTP, like normal, but you actually get the same kind of experience where, you know, you click like, it's like sending an email, like you click like upload files and then you click the files you want and then they get uploaded and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that's a cool option too. I know DreamHost has that and Bluehost as well, so. And GeoCities. And, and GeoCities and AngelFire at the good old days, yeah. Um, awesome. I think that about wraps it up. Um, do you want to just in like one sentence summarize like a beginner like what their steps are? Yeah, I mean mine. Do you guys want to go? I'm talking a lot. Right, <laughs> yeah, step one, um, go to registrar and get a domain name. Um, step two, find a host. Uh, many companies will do both for you. Um, step three, you know, take your uh, the site that you've coded locally and upload it. Perfect. And, uh, step four, send Profit. a link to all your friends. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, thanks so much for being with us, Tom. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Hope to have you back soon. Yeah, uh, yeah awesome. And then for, uh, yeah, anybody else listening, um, we're still taking as many questions as you want over at codeplanet.io slash ask. Um, anything that you put in this week, you can get to next week, uh, or we'll get to. And, uh, yeah, please feel free to contact us with anything. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.